communist country, one of the top 20 most persecuted nations in the world. And we go there now four times a year for the Lao Bible Institute. And that's been a great blessing uh, to go there and to minister there and to see God working in a Buddhist and an animist uh, culture. Uh, just been wonderful to see. And we praise God for, the, for that privilege of training workers in the country of Laos, one of the most unreached countries in the world. And we, we're very thankful for that ministry, but also very thankful for what God is doing right now in Ukraine. And I say thankful. I mean, your heart is torn. You are thankful for souls that are being reached, but your heart breaks for the wickedness and the just horrific things that are happening because of war. So we want to share some of that with you today. We have some pictures here. And if you didn't get a prayer card on our table back there, we've got some prayer cards. We also have on the back table some uh, CDs. And Pastor, I want to make sure I get you have a CD player or do you need it digitally? <laughs> okay. Well, we have the CD back there, but it's of a young lady from our Bible Institute who actually pr- played the violin professionally in Europe, left that to serve the Lord and uh, works with us on our ministry, goes out on our evangelistic meetings. Her name is Albina. The The CD is a blessing. If you like uh, violin and piano, some fresh arrangements of, of songs that you will know, and it'll be a blessing to you. So we welcome you to, if you'd like to buy one, all the funds are going to our fund called Compassion for Ukraine. We welcome, And this also has digital downloads. So if you do have iTunes or you use Spotify or Amazon Music or whatever, we got QR codes uh, back on the table. But welcome you to get a prayer card. This next picture shows a little girl holding the heart, colors of the Ukrainian flag. Anybody know what those colors stand for in the Ukrainian flag? The blue's on top, the yellow's down below. The sky above is the blue, and the yellow is for the fields of harvest, of sunflowers. Uh, Ukraine, one of the top seed-producing uh, countries in the world. Uh, in fact, some have called it the breadbasket of Europe. Others even recently have called it the breadbasket of the world. So they grow a lot of food there, and the war is prohibiting that right now and out exporting it through the Black Sea. Russia controls the Black Sea, made it very difficult to export. So you're going to see some issues in the world with food coming up here, if if not already. Uh, Next one here shows a picture of the capital city of Kiev. Anybody want to guess how old Kiev is? It's a little older than uh, Charlotte, all right? It's about 1,800 years old, almost 2,000 years old. So it's a very ancient city. It's a large city, a beautiful city, and where God allowed us to go and begin the Living Hope Baptist Church of Kiev. And the next photo here, you see a picture that's a recent photo from our services. <clears throat> now, early in the war, when Russia invaded February 24th of last year, uh, immediately Kiev was under in great jeopardy. Uh, Russia came down from Belarus on that northwest side of Kiev and on the northeast side of Kiev, and it looked like Kiev was going to be taken, and it was very dangerous. Most of our people before the war, we had an English service at noon. We had a 10 o'clock Ukrainian service. Our English service, we were very close to the international dormitory. We had students from all over the world. I mean, India, we had from China, we had from Pakistan. He wasn't a student, but just uh, Iran, uh, African nations, we had from all over the world. But when the invasion took place, of course, those fled the country. And even many of you Ukrainians fled, and we were left with just a handful of folks uh, in the church. And we restarted services again once the Russians pulled back, and God just started blessing. And we started seeing many coming from Ukrainian Orthodox backgrounds. 
And what's fascinating about that is the Orthodox Church, of course, they don't have a living hope, right? They don't have a message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. You have to earn your way to God by keeping traditions, by keeping the law. Is there any hope in that? There's no hope if you've got to earn it, right? There's no hope there. And so these people are faced knowing that death is a reality because they hear the sirens, they hear the explosions. Uh, Kiev gets hit quite often. They've had some nights where they had 43 or 4 missiles in one night, missiles and drones shot just at Kiev. So if you can imagine waking up at 2 in the morning, hearing sirens going off, hearing the explosions, you know that death is imminent, right? So you're looking for an answer. And these folks are looking for an answer. Orthodox Church didn't have any answers, any certain answers, any assurance answers, but the Bible does, the gospel does. And so they started attending, and God just began blessing, and we've seen not only many listening to the gospel that before the war that weren't listening, but responding to the gospel. And here you see, this was our last service there in August that we were there. These uh, ladies came. They had taken their icons to the uh, Orthodox Church. They left them at the Orthodox Church. Of course, an icon is kind of like a religious idol that they have. You would pray to, it would mediate for you. They took those back to the church, uh, Orthodox Church, decided they were going to follow Christ, got in the water and followed him in believer's baptism by immersion. And I praise God for their commitment. And what we see God doing again in Ukraine right now is is very special. The young man in the water there with me was Dima. Here, here he is right here with his wife. You're good. Here he is with his wife right here, Erica, their little girl, Abigail. Please pray for them as uh, Dima leads the ministry there. And uh, again, they live with this life right now of, of sirens and explosions and so forth. Uh, but uh, Dima's been very faithful. His wife, Erica, we would covet your prayers for them and God's continued ministry there, all right? There you see our Bible Institute. That's the original reason that we went to Ukraine was for the Slavic Baptist Institute. This was just taken at a recent session that we held there, and uh, we still have students in country. We have many that are out of the country, uh, but we still have a number in country, and we're able to hold these training sessions, and many of our students very faithfully serving right now in a very, very difficult time, and we praise God for the Slavic Baptist Institute. There you see a picture of Ukraine right before the war, and you see where on that eastern side of Ukraine where they share the border there with Russia, where the Russian troops were coming in from, where they were mounting, and that on that eastern side, the city Kharkiv, that's the second largest city uh, in Ukraine, and sure enough, February 24th of last year, uh, they, they invaded from there. You see north of Kiev there. They invaded from Belarus. They came right down on top of Kiev. And now all things have changed. Go ahead and go there. There you see a picture. If you were to remove the color, you would think here that you were looking at pictures from World War II, right? And that's really the devastation that you see. Sometimes your brain is not receiving what your eyes are showing it, right? It's like, can this be? How can this be? Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? Because you've never seen anything like it. This lady right here was uh, in a uh, maternity ward in the city of Mariupol, a Russian missile hit there. And really, the Russians haven't been too particular about where they shoot. Often, they shoot at civilian sites. So you find uh, where maternity wards, hospitals, schools. Was it 2,000 schools that have been hit? Can you imagine hitting children's schools? 
uh, 400 or, or so of those schools just completely destroyed. Apartment buildings have been hit. The next one here, I think, is an apartment building. We happened to be in Kiev on this Sunday morning. I was in my office. I heard the explosions. I looked up into the center of Kiev, and you see the fire coming up. So can you imagine this kind of lifestyle? This was in northwest Kiev region, and uh, somewhere estimated around uh, 14 million Ukrainians have been displaced from their homes. 14 million. About 8 million of those have left the country and are in other places all around the world as refugees. But 6 million are refugees within their own country. And uh, so where do they live, right? Where, where do they, how do they find a place to live if your home's been taken away? So you have churches that are keeping people. You have camps. We have camp in Lutsk. We keep people there in that camp. So it's caused a very serious humanitarian crisis, but with that, an opportunity for the gospel because people are very humbled at what's, what's going on. Children, the war has had a, a tremendous impact on children. It's estimated that of the 6 million that are internally displaced people within Ukraine, about 1.2 million of those are children. They estimate about 1.5 million children have PTSD. And for many, it's going to be generational. They're going to have it for their lives. So how are they going to fill that empty void inside, right? And uh, of course, they'll try drugs. They'll try alcohol. The only answer is Christ. Now, even with Christ, PTSD is a struggle, but without Christ, it's impossible. And so children, we just had a camp uh, in Lutz, summer camps, plural. We had 1,600 children that came to these camps. We estimate about 20% of them have already lost their fathers in the war. So uh, tremendous numbers. Now, here you see a map of Ukraine, and you see Compassion for Ukraine. That's our fund that we have, a charitable fund that's registered in Ukraine. And these are an opportunity that God has given us during this time of war. On the left side, on the west side, you see the star. That is Lutsk. That's where our fund is, is located, where the camp is. And from that place, we're helping to distribute aid all over the country. So we might have containers of aid that come in through Poland or maybe through Romania. We receive it there. We break it down. We're able to distribute it. But as the aid is going out, the gospel's going out. I'll share more about that with you in just a moment. But we're also still able to buy aid within the country. And if we can buy it in the country, it's even cheaper. All right. The next slide here uh, shows uh, just some facts and figures about aid distributed. We've helped to distribute about 11.2 million pounds of aid and so forth in the country. But the next one here shows a truck that's a five metric ton truck that would hold about 11,000 pounds. And in this truck, we have a load of aid here, and that's a 11,000 pound load of aid. This will cost us about $7,000, but it will feed about 600 people for three weeks. So uh, here you see uh, canned meats and dry uh, different grains and flour, water. Uh, you can have pasta on there. Dry goods, because some of the places we go to, they don't have any electricity. So they don't have a way to refrigerate. Uh, when we went into Izum, Izum had no electricity, no gas, no water right? Uh, they'd been occupied by Russia for about six months. In fact, when we came into Izum, on the right side of the highway was a mass grave of about 450 people. Only about 50 of them were Ukrainian soldiers. The balance, balance were civilians. Some had hands tied behind their back. Some were missing fingernails. So again, they had been tortured. They'd been executed. Many. It, it's just a terrible thing. But 
when we can buy aid still in the country and uh, and get it out, it's it's still very very cost effective. All right. Now the next slide here uh, shows some of the meetings that we've been able to hold, and I've I've been in uh, Julie and I have been in I've been in seven times. Julie's been with me on many of those trips. I'm getting ready to make an eighth trip uh, here in December, but we'll come to an area like this village. This is about 14 miles or so from the Russian border, and we'll just show up. We'll say something like, hey, we're here today, and we bring aid to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, but we bring something greater from Christ to you today. And Christ met a greater need than the physical need you have for the aid today. He met that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to share with you that gospel. And we have just seen groups like this group right here. This was a 1,000 people that gathered outside of Kharkiv. So when before the war would you have an opportunity to preach the gospel to a 1,000 people? Didn't have that opportunity. Next slide here. This is uh, about eight miles right here from the Russian border. And uh, this was about twelve to 1,500 people that come. Albina, the gal who plays the, on the CD back there, plays her violin. This guy's singing right here, Vitaly. He's uh, just graduated from SBI. And then you come up and you preach about a 20, 25-minute gospel presentation of the living hope and gospel of Jesus Christ. So right now, from this meeting right here, a church was started. So what we're seeing right now, you have more people listening to the gospel more people responding to the gospel, and you have churches being planted. This one right here, this is about four miles from the Russian border, so we're very close now to Russia. This was an area that was uh, occupied by Russia. The mayor took us around, told us what took place. I mean, just terrible things. But what's interesting about this is not necessarily the size or the group here, but best we know when we came here, this was the first time the gospel was ever preached here publicly. So you have more people hearing the gospel, more people responding to the gospel, churches being started during this time of war, but also you see the gospel spreading into areas of Ukraine it had never been before the war. Now, if you would have told me that that was possible before the war, I would have said, this is not possible. That's a dream, right? That can never happen during the war, but it's happening. And, uh, and we're praising God for that and for what God is doing. This is down in the uh, region of Donetsk. This is very close to the front lines of the war. Uh, and what I love about this picture is you see the Orthodox Church in the background closed, boarded up, but you see the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. And as we preach the gospel, we also give out New Testaments. And uh, we just received a shipment of about 80,000 New Testaments. And uh, when we take New Testaments out, everybody takes them. I mean, it's amazing. Nobody turns you down. They take, in fact, here you see the bags of aid are at their feet, and they have the New Testaments in their hand looking to see what God says. This lady right here, we were in her city village. We held an evangelistic meeting. Her name is Oksana. She came up afterwards. I want you to hear what she said. She said, before the war, I was an atheist, but now I find myself praying to God. Thank you for coming today. Please come back and tell us more. You can see her taking a New Testament. Here's a group of ladies. You see Julie there in the background. Uh, the gal there in the blue on the left, her name is Maria. We held an evangelistic meeting on her street. She came up afterwards. She said, I want to receive Christ. Uh, and that night we were in a neighboring village holding an evangelistic meeting in a Baptist church. And as she came, these other ladies from her street came. That night during the invitation, they all came forward. 
I would ask you this question. If there was no war, do they ever come to faith in Christ? They, they all have probably an Orthodox background. They would view their Orthodox faith as part of their Ukrainian culture, right? But what shook them and caused them to come to a true faith in Jesus Christ? It was the war and the reality of death, right? And that I need a real answer here. I need, I need the great answer. I need what answer? Where, where can my faith rest? The only place is Christ, right? The only place is Christ. This guy right here, that truck you saw earlier, he owned a trucking company. He gave us trucks to use for free. All we had to do was maintain the vehicles. His name is Vlad, but he himself not a believer. And uh, he would even sometimes drive to help deliver aid. But we were holding an evangelistic outreach at our camp for, uh, for the refugees on the camp. He was there that night. That night, uh, we gave an invitation. Uh, Vlad got up, tears rolling down his cheeks, came forward to receive Christ. This picture was taken the next morning after that. And uh, he told me, he said, something has changed in my heart. Now, if you don't know what Vlad is talking about, that means you don't know Christ. Because when you receive Christ, something changes in your heart. All things become new, right? All the old things are passed away. All things become new. doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life, but you have a new life. <laughs> and you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you, leading you and guiding you. And what a blessing that was for Vlad. So pray for Ukraine. Uh, pray for the pastors in Ukraine. Pray for those that have yet to hear the gospel, uh, that they can hear this gospel. Suicide right now is an issue. So many are without hope in Ukraine, and they're searching for hope. Again, Christ is the only hope. Uh, but many of the believers in Ukraine have been a blessing. I think you could share there's an awakening among the lost to the gospel in Ukraine, but there is also a revival among the saved. You see, in Ukraine, they've had to decide, are we going to live in fear or are we going to live by faith? And uh, J. John Wesley was it who said, uh, I am immortal until God is done with me. And when you're faced with death and the reality of death as a believer, you also start to make different decisions. We were in a church down by the Moldovan border, and that evening sirens were blasting. And uh, you're wondering, okay, are they still going to hold the service tonight that's scheduled? You know, I mean, sirens are going off. What do you do? You know, do you go to the bomb shelter? What do we do? Well, they hold the service. And that night in the service, it was a fairly large church, and they were singing. And I thought to myself when they were singing, you know, I haven't heard people sing with this kind of passion for some time. I mean, they were really singing. And then later, there was a time of corporate prayer, and they began to pray. And I began to hear people praying down on the floor and from the choir loft, and amen, Lord, and yes, Lord, and, and just this corporate time of prayer. And I thought, I haven't heard this kind of fervent praying in some, some time. And I'm thinking, you know, don't these people realize that at any moment there, there could be one big kaboom and we've all stepped into eternity together and we come, we'll come before the presence of Christ together. And then it dawned on me, well, that's why they're singing this way and that's why they're praying this way because they're living their life with this constant expectancy that at any moment of time, we're going to be face to face with the Lord. And you know what? If we live our lives that way, it brings revival, does it not? The young lady on the CD back there, her city had been hit by missiles, and I wrote her on a uh, mon or a Tuesday, Monday. They had been hit on a Sunday. And I said, Albina, are you safe? Is your family safe? I want you to listen to what she replied. She wrote back and she said, God is especially good to us. 
He never gets tired of protecting us. All we do, speaking of their services, all we do is we sing, we pray, and we wait for his second coming. I later asked her, I said, Albina, have you ever been in a service on Sunday when the uh, sirens start going off? And she said, yes. And I said, so how does your pastor handle that, right? Brother Dave, how would you handle that if sirens start going off, huh? And and, uh, I asked her that, and she said, well, he stops the service for a moment, commits the service to God in prayer, commits us to God in prayer, and then we continue on with our service. So it's really, again, it's a choice to live by faith, right, of the Son of God who loved me, who died for me, to live for His glory in a very turbulent time. And one last photo here. Uh, that's our Compassion for Ukraine Fund, which we would ask you pray for us, pray for God's provision. God has been miraculously providing uh, through churches like this. We would ask you would pray for us for God's continued provision. The war is now 20 months old, and uh, we just uh, are amazed at how God has provided and how thankful the Ukrainian people are. And you see this bottle of milk. And this girl, we had held an evangelistic meeting in her village, and uh, they had been occupied by Russia. And uh, after the meeting, we, we stay around, we, we talk to people, we listen to stories, we give hugs and so forth. And uh, this little girl came riding up on her bike, and she said, you know, my mom wanted me to, to bring you this bottle of milk and to thank you for coming today. And so many in Ukraine are just very grateful uh, for what America is doing, for your prayers. Many believers in Ukraine are very thankful for the churches in America, for your prayers, and for what God is doing. So we want to bring you that thanks, all right? Thank you for your prayers and for your gifts. Thank you for being a part of our ministry there in Ukraine. Amen? Amen. If you have any questions afterwards, we'll, we'd love to, to answer those for you uh, back at the back table. But right now, we're going to go into the Word of God, all right? Now, is this working or still use this? Are we... We'll stick with the white one, all right, this morning. Let's turn over here to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verses 1 and 2. And here the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica, and he comes down to to, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and he writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Bless us now as we look into your word. God, make this time uh, just a time when you speak to us. Show us the changes that need to be made. Lord, if there are any here this morning that know you not, that have never been born from above, that have never uh, had their heart changed by you, may today be the day that they receive that new life. But for those of us who know you, may we be encouraged to follow you. May we be encouraged to live for your glory, for your praise. May we be encouraged to come boldly to the throne of grace, O God, for your glory, to see your gospel and your glory spread throughout all the world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul here is a sent one. He's an apostle, which means his work is going out and taking the gospel into the world like a missionary. And uh, we often find from Paul where he is seeking the prayers of God's people. 
In Colossians, he makes a request for prayer. In Ephesians, he asked the believers in Ephesus to pray. In Romans, he asked the believers there, he said, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And so Paul is often recruiting those to pray for him. Why? Because Paul knows that if the mission God has given to him is going to be completed, it's not going to be by the strength of Paul, by the wisdom of Paul, by the abilities of Paul. It's going to have to be God that accomplishes it. It's going to have to be the hand of God, the mercy of God, the wisdom of God, right? And so he knows he needs God, and he knows that God, what God does, he does an answer to prayer. And so he's saying, please, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, pray for us, right? Pray for us. I want to read you a quote right here this morning on prayer and something for you to think about. Uh, but here, here is the quote this morning. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And my friends, we need today what God can do, right? We don't need eloquence or systems or whatever out there that's out there today, gifts, abilities of man, right, to entertain or do things. We don't need any of that. What we need is we need God. And we need the hand of God and we need the power of God because God alone can, can save souls. God alone can build his church. God alone can bring grace and produce fruit through us that is lasting forever for his glory, right? And that's what we want. We want fruit that remains. Herein is your Father glorified that you do what? That you bear much fruit. So it should be our heart's desire as an individual believer to bear much fruit because I want my Father to be glorified. I want him to be honored by my life. It should be the desire of this church to bear much fruit. Why? Because we want the head of this church to be glorified and honored Jesus Christ, right? So, but Christ says in that same passage in John, he says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So we got to have him. And what is prayer, by the way? In a very simple definition of prayer, it is us showing dependence on God. So we could say a lack of prayer is showing a lack of what? Yeah, and we have a lot of that going on today in our Christian churches, don't we? And in our individual Christian lives, we don't pray like we should. We don't pray like we should. Our churches don't pray like they should. I think that's one of the marks if you go back in, in times past and you look at these movements of God and when God was moving uh, uh, through churches and his gospel was moving, you're finding there were churches and Christians that were in prayer, constant prayer before God. And so Paul is saying here, brethren, pray for us. Now look specifically at the prayer requests of Paul. Because this is a very simple outline of how you can pray for Julie and I, how you can pray for your missionaries, okay? Number one, look what he says. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have what? Free course. What's that mean? Well, in Colossians, he states that there might be open doors of utterance. These are opportunities to preach the gospel, he is saying, pray for us that God would open these doors, that there would be no hindrances to the gospel. Look, we have an enemy that we fight against, right? Ultimately, that enemy's name is who? Satan. Do you think Satan wants the gospel to be spread in all the earth? Do you think he, do you think he wants the lost to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ? And so he puts up hindrances. 
to hinder the gospel. Paul is saying, pray for those hindrances to be removed. Pray for God to open these doors. Pray for the word of the Lord to have free course. You know, today in our world, there's about 8.1 or 2 billion people. That's a lot of people. Now, I know probably sometimes when you're out here driving on the highway in Charlotte, you feel like all 8 billion are right here in Charlotte, right? But 8 billion people in the world, do you know it's estimated that about 30, only 30% of the world's population has heard a true gospel presentation? 30%. That's only about 2.4 billion people or so have heard a true gospel presentation. Before God called me to missions in Ukraine, I was pastoring back in the Kansas City area. Not a lot different from how it is here in Charlotte. I mean, we have a lot of Baptist churches back there. But you know what I found back in the Kansas City area? There's a lot of people who've never heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They even maybe went to Baptist churches, maybe went to evangelical type churches, but they had never heard a true gospel of Jesus Christ. About about estimated about 30% of our world, there's about 70% that have never heard about, we're going to break that into two groups that haven't heard, about 30% of that 70% live in an area like this. They have the potential to hear the gospel. They've just never heard it. I have a friend grew up in Topeka, Kansas. He told me, his name, Tony, he, he said to, to Brother Dick, I never heard the gospel till I was 36 years old for the first time. I mean, lived in an area where there was churches, went to a public school, played on ball teams, all the rest of it, uh, lived in the neighborhood there, but no Christian had ever tried to witness to him. Being there in Raymore, Missouri, Kansas City area, where I pastored, you know, the whole time I was there, no one ever tried to witness to me. No one tried to share a gospel track with me. No one ever knocked on my door, tried to tell me about the love of God. They say, well, you might say, well, why would you do that? You're a pastor. You yeah, but they don't know that, do they? <laughs> So why is no one? I mean, I had the Mormons knock on my door. I had Jehovah Witnesses trying to win me to their false message, right? But why, why do I not have? I mean, there were a number of churches in that area that claimed to be gospel-preaching churches, but they're not proclaiming that message of Christ. Listen, we are to go out from them to reach them. Amen. We have to go out to them. I mean, we want to invite them to come to church, and that's not a bad thing to invite people to come and listen. But we have to go through these doors out there and proclaim this message. Take it to them. Well, about 30% of the 70% who have never heard live in an area like this. The potential to hear, just they've never heard. But about 40% of that 70% live in an area that we would call unreached with the gospel. That means they have no potential to hear the gospel. We took some of our students from uh, Slavic Baptist Institute, and we went over into Central Asia to the country of Tajikistan. You know, you have all those stand guys, right? Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all the stand guys. We went to Tajikistan, Islamic country, but considered 99% unreached with the gospel. That means 99% of the people of Tajikistan are going to go from cradle to grave, and they're never once going to hear about God's love, God's redemption, God's grace through Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that, that's not right. I mean, how long, has, how long has the church had the, the great commission from Christ? About 2,000 years. What was the great commission of Christ? is to preach the gospel in all the world to every creature. 
and we've only reached 30%? Now listen, I want to ask you a question today. Are we content with it being that way? No. Are we? I mean, are we content with only 30%? I mean, listen, I've heard it said this way. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost souls on earth. And we are. Look, do you want Christ coming back? If you're not watching world history or world things that are happening right now, current events, the pieces on the chessboard are moving, folks, right? Christ's getting ready to come. Now, do we want him to come and we've only completed 30% of the mission? Now, I'm from Missouri. Missouri, if I got a 30% on my test, it's the show me state. I can guarantee you what my teacher is going to show me. <laughs> now, out in California, they might debate it with you. Somehow a 30% in California might be an A. They're a little different out there in California, right? But I'm sure Charlotte's a lot like we are back in Missouri, right? 30%, that's not a passing grade. Do we want Christ coming back with a 30% on our test? Folks, we're going to have to make this a priority. We've got work to do. And you might be out there thinking, well, Brother Derek, how, how can it be? I mean, we've got closed doors or countries like Tajikistan, Islamic, and just very difficult, or like the country of Laos, communist, just very, these are closed doors. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying that we can do it by our strength, but you know what? He can do it by his strength by His grace, right? That's why we begin in prayer. That's where Paul is asking these to pray for him. I want you to think about Coca-Cola this morning. Been around for about 145 years. Do you know whenever I am in Laos or Tajikistan or Ukraine or wherever, I can always get a Coca-Cola. I don't care how small the village, how small the little kiosk or store, you can get a Coca-Cola, and most of the time you can get a Coke Zero if you really want a Coke Zero, all right? Do you know it's estimated that the Coca-Cola logo is recognized in about uh, 98% of the world? Can you imagine? Now, how did Coca-Cola in 145 years reach 98% of the world, but the Church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years has only reached about 30% of the world? Come on, folks. We got work to do. Right, Pearl? We got work to do. We got a gospel to preach. We got a message to bring. And that's the message the world needs to hear. I'm telling you, there are people out there waiting to hear this message. And we have to take them the message. And it begins with prayer. One of our pastors there in Ukraine, uh, his name is Nikolai. And they had, uh, he was, uh, his area, he's been very faithful to preach the gospel there in the eastern part of Ukraine, very close to Russia. In fact, many of those pictures, I was with uh, Nikolai and his group preaching. And uh, Nikolai had a secular refugee center director come to him. And this director had about 450 refugees, and these people just were, I mean, they've lost everything, lost their homes, they, they're just, they're without hope. And this director comes to Nikolai and he says, listen, I don't care what you teach from your Bible. And what he means by that is, I know you're not Orthodox and I know you're going to teach something different than Orthodox, but I don't care. I don't care what you teach from your Bible, but do you have a message of hope that you can bring these people? Because if you do, I'm, I'm inviting you to come and preach to these people. Listen, that's an open door. And really right now with this war, as terrible as it's been, we've had many open doors. I have, we have open doors in Laos. We have open doors in uh, India. 
Folks, there are open doors, and we should be praying, God, give us these open doors, continuing open doors. Give us the laborers to walk through these open doors because we need laborers. All right, I can go on and on and on. Let's go to number two here, all right? Come down that second part of verse number one, that the, Lord, uh, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be what? Glorified. glorified, even as it is with you. What's it mean for the gospel to be glorified? Robert, what's that mean for the gospel to be glorified? What do you think? To, to, be, to receive it. When was the gospel glorified in your heart? 10, 11, Amen. He just got saved. <laughs> the gospel was glorified. Now, he heard the gospel when he had been a boy. But he didn't respond to the gospel from his heart in repentance and faith until 10, 11. Hallelujah, Robert. We love you, brother. I'm excited for you. New life started right there. So we're excited about that. We're, we rejoice in that. The gospel was glorified in his heart. That's what it means for the gospel to be glorified. Not just for the opportunity to preach it, Paul is saying, but for the power to preach it, that when it's preached, it's preached in such a way that the Spirit of God takes it and blesses it and brings conviction and brings conversion to Christ. Folks, that's, that's, that's what we need. Paul tells the believers there in Thessalonica, he said, when I came to you in the first book of Thessalonians, when I came to you, I didn't come in word only, but I came in power and I came in the Spirit. You know what we need today when we're preaching the gospel? I mean, it's good that we go, but we need God's power. We need the Spirit's blessing right? As we preach that word, that it may be glorified. I want to read you another quote, since you all love quotes out there this morning, all right? We only advance in our evangelistic work as fast and as far as we advance on our knees. Prayer opens the channel between a soul and God. Prayerlessness closes it. Prayer releases the grip of Satan's power. Prayerlessness increases it. That is why prayer is so exhausting and so vital. If we believed it, the prayer meeting would be as full as the church. Do you hear that quote right there? What he's saying is in direct correlation to how we pray or how souls are going to receive the gospel. That when we pray, we're opening a channel, a greater work of God upon that soul, upon that heart in coming to Christ. Listen, Paul is saying here, pray for the gospel to be glorified. Now, if Paul knows that he needs the power of God to preach the gospel, how much more do you and I? And what is Paul saying here? Does it going to matter if we pray how many more times that gospel is going to be glorified? I think we have not. Why? Because we ask not. And so our intercession before the throne of grace as we're lifting souls before God's throne of grace, and I'll guarantee you, majority of us in this room, someone was praying for us before we got saved. And we've got folk, we, we're looking at our country right now, and I, I just, I look at our country, and I'm just, I'm broken for our country. And, and you're seeing this lostness and this kind of darkness that's pervading over. Are we praying for God to bring a revival? Are we praying for souls that they may see the darkness in which they're living and their need of Jesus Christ? My friends, God will do and will answer prayer. I was reading of a, of a missionary who was up in the country of uh, Latvia in Eastern Europe. His name was James Stewart. And this was back uh, right around World War II uh, before communism had taken over Latvia. And he was in a church on a Sunday morning. He said, I preached that Sunday morning. 
And he said there was just a freedom. And there were these, these responses that morning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says God's hand was prevalent. I mean, his power was present. Well, that night they asked him to come back and preach again. And he said, sure. And so he thought to himself, well, I'm going to get to the church early and I'm going to pray because I want that same blessing of God that I had this morning. I want that same presence of his spirit uh, on me that evening when I preached. So he got there early to the church. He said, I went down into the basement. I thought that'll be a good place to go and get alone. He came into the basement. It was dark, but he could see a light over in the corner where the furnace was. He said, I'll go over towards that furnace. I'll pray over by that furnace. I'm going to ask God to bless us tonight. He said, as he got over towards the light of the furnace, he saw three ladies on their faces on that basement floor, and they were crying out to God. God, you're going to have to bless us tonight, right? God, you're going to have to give the speaker tonight your power, your blessing to speak to our hearts. God, if you don't meet with us tonight, nothing is going to happen. Lord, we don't want to hear from the speaker. We want to hear from you tonight through the speaker. So God, we're begging you to work tonight. And Stuart said, immediately when I saw those ladies praying, I understood why I had such power this morning when I preached. Here you have your pastor seated right here on Sunday mornings, bringing you the Word of God, right? Praise God for a pastor willing to bring you the Word of God. But do you know what he needs? He needs your prayers. Lord God, tomorrow when our pastor preaches, we don't want to hear from Brother David. We want to hear from you. And we ask that you would use him as your instrument tomorrow and speak to my heart tomorrow, God. Show me in my life what needs to be changed this tomorrow, God, through your word and through our pastor. Lord, bless him. And Lord, if we have any in our congregation that don't know you, if we have visitors that are coming and they don't know the gospel, God, speak to them tomorrow and glorify your, yourself and your gospel through the preaching of your word and through our pastor tomorrow. Now, do you think God can answer that prayer? I mean, I think on Saturday nights, we should be gathering our families together. Say, tomorrow's your day, Lord. We're coming to your house tomorrow. We want to hear from your word tomorrow. We need your power tomorrow to work. So Paul says, pray number one, for the gospel, for the word of the Lord to have free course. Pray number two, that that word of the Lord would be glorified in hearts, souls brought unto Jesus Christ. Number three, look at what he says in verse number two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul is saying here, pray for God to preserve me to keep me, to protect me. Why? Because I'm going into, the go into very dangerous areas with the gospel. I mean, I'm taking this message of Christ into cultures that don't want this gospel of Christ, and this gospel of Christ is calling them to repentance. What is repentance? Turning around. It's acknowledging that my belief system is wrong. That, that my, my, uh, my tradition, religious traditions are wrong. I'm a sinner before a holy God. I'm not a good person. You know, people don't like to hear that. <laughs> but you know, you can't be saved until you receive that truth, right? You're not good. Amen. There are none that are good. None that are righteous. No, not one, right? We're all sinners fallen short of the glory of God. There's one who is good. Who is that? God, Jesus Christ. And praise God, he left his glory in heaven to come and die for you and me that we might have life. Well, you take this message into the world. It doesn't often make you popular. Was Paul very popular? I mean, we find Paul in prison. We find him beaten. Listen, we don't need to be relevant to the world. 
I, I see there's a church in Kansas City. It's what's it called? Relevant Church or something? I think, well, how can a church be relevant? <laughs> if you're relevant to the world, you're not relevant to God, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just sharing. We, we don't, we're not worried about being relevant to the world. We're going to preach his truth, his gospel, but it's not going to make us often popular. But we're not preaching it to be popular. And you know what's even better? When we preach the true gospel, there are souls that are going to respond to that gospel. Souls like this dear man right here, Robert, who got saved, right? Praise God. That's why we preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But your missionaries need your prayers. Why? Because they're taking the gospel into very dangerous areas. I know we have men in Ukraine taking the gospel into very dangerous areas. I mean, the missiles and the... There have been times I've been preaching there. You can hear the missiles hitting in the distance. But some of our guys go, and I mean, when I'm there, it's in the distance. It's maybe seven, ten miles away. But for some of our guys, it's hitting very close to where they are. But they're faithfully taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your missionaries need your prayers. Now, I want you to think about this. And I I don't know how many missionaries the church here supports, but... 17. So this is a partnership between the church, the local church, and the missionary. And when you have a missionary come to your church, and he presents his ministry, and you as a church feel moved to support that ministry, it is a partnership between you and him. He's an extension of your church. And what you're saying when you take them on for support is you're saying, you know what, we are going to partner with you, and, uh, and you're going to be an extension of us, and we are going to financially support you, but there's a greater commitment that you're making. That's a commitment to pray for them. And without your prayers, they cannot complete the work that God's given them to do. Now, I want you to listen to this last quote, all right? One last quote. Almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Now, did you hear that? All of us would agree prayer is important, but how many of us really believe that prayer is essential? And what does essential mean? There are things that will not happen unless we pray. There are churches that are not going to be started in Ukraine or in Laos unless you pray. There are souls that are not going to be reached in Ukraine and Laos unless you're praying from here. There are laborers that are not going to be called in Ukraine and Laos unless you're praying from here. We don't need your prayers. Your prayers are not just important. My friends, your prayers are essential. We need your essential prayers. Why? For our benefit? No. For the glory of Christ. For the mission to be completed. So your prayers are essential. Think about Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus 17, Moses is up on the mountain. Aaron and Hur are up there with him. He has his hands lifted up to God. Joshua's down in the valley with the army of Israel, right? fighting against the Amalekites. And Amalekites had a great army or whatever. Maybe they had better equipment, more soldiers, didn't matter. Moses had hands, prayers lifted up to God. With his hands lifted up, prayers being lifted up. Man, Joshua was seeing a great victory in the valley below. But you remember the story, Moses got tired. And he let his hands down, his arms come down. And immediately what happens to Joshua down below? Starts losing the battle. 
And then Aaron and Hur come alongside and they lift up the hands of Moses again unto God. And immediately the battle turns and they keep those hands up in prayer, dependence on God going on until the victory is secure and won. Amalekites completely defeated. So let me ask you this question. Where was the victory won that day? Was it one? Some might say, well, it was Joshua. I mean, he had the sword. He had the army. They won a great victory. Yeah, but really, where was the victory won that day? One up on the hill in prayer. Now, these 17 missionaries that you've sent out, they've gone into some very dangerous places, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, going into cultures that know not at all. I mean, when you're in a Buddhist or animist culture or a Hindu culture, I mean, just very satanic, some of these cultures, right? How are they going to be successful? How are they going to reach these souls for the glory of Christ? And I'm just saying it's only by your essential prayers. Joshua could have went but with the army that day down into that valley and fought with all his strength, with all his heart. But if he didn't have those prayers being lifted up on the mountain, they don't win the victory. Your missionaries can go into these places, very dangerous places with the gospel. They can labor. They can give their lives. They can die on that field. But if they don't have your prayers coming from right here, nothing's going to happen. Your prayers are not just important. Your prayers are what? Essential. And listen, I just want to encourage you today. Discipline yourself unto prayer. To pray for your missionaries faithfully, to pray for the work of God in our country, in your church, for your pastor, right? Discipline ourselves unto prayer. And I come before you today representing your missionaries, and I say this today brethren, pray for us. Amen. We need your prayers, and your prayers can make a difference. Wouldn't it be wonderful one day coming into heaven, Miss Pearl, and you meet somebody from Ukraine you've never met before? And they come up to you and they say, Miss Pearl, I want to thank you. You had a part in my salvation. You say, well, I never met you. How, I, what are you talking about? I never met you, Svetlana. There's a name for you, all right? Svetlana, I never met you before. And you say, but I, I know that. But you know that Derek Thomas, that, that skinny, ugly missionary that you guys had? <laughs> he brought us the gospel. And there was one time when he was preaching and you were praying. And God opened my heart to the truth, and I turned then to Christ. You had a part in my salvation, and I want to thank you, Miss Pearl, for your prayers. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have that happen a million times over in heaven? Amen. Your missionaries need your essential prayers. Brethren, pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your love. I thank you for this church, for their faithfulness and missions. And Father, their desire to reach their community with the gospel. God, I pray that today you would call more and more to this prayer ministry, to intercessory prayer for their missionaries, for their church, for our country, for souls in general, because we want your glory to be known. And Lord, if there be any here today that know not the love of Christ, the grace of God, a new life through Christ, a new heart through Christ, oh God, today bring them unto yourself. We ask and pray, and it's in Christ's name we pray. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you heard that message, boy, what a call. What a call to prayer. What a call to faithfulness. Uh, for my brothers and sisters that are here today, and maybe you, you're struggling in your prayer life. Maybe you're not surrendered like you need to be. Maybe you're not as, as faithful as you need to be. Faithful to pray for the lost in our community, but the lost around the world. 
if that's you today and you say, listen, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling to be as faithful as I need to be in prayer. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand up real quick and say, listen, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me that I'll be more faithful in my prayer life. Lift your hand in the air. Say, listen, hey, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Amen. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for our community. God, we pray for your hand to be at work in our individual hearts, Lord, that we'll take up the mantle and, Lord, that we will stand for the truth not only in our own personal lives as we will live a testimony for you. But Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters to faithfully pray for our missionaries, for those that are are holding up the truth, proclaiming the gospel to this lost and broken world. Lord, if there's ever been a time for us to stand, it is now. If there's ever been a time to pray, it it is now. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel. I thank you for the power of the word of God and the power of prayer, the gift you've given us in prayer that we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. And Lord, we just pray, Father, for your hand to guide us. And Lord, help us uh, to be surrendered to the, to the desire you have for us to be faithful in our prayer life. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't, I don't necessarily know where I stand with God. You might be watching this recorded. You may be a member of this church like Bob. And you might be sitting and listening and saying, you know what? I'm not sure where I stand with the Lord. Listen, if you're struggling in your heart with your salvation because you're, you're feeling the draw of God on your heart, but you're not responding to it, maybe you've gotten cold to it. You can get a hardened heart. God can draw you and draw you and draw you, and eventually you can just not hear it anymore. But I'm telling you, if today you're here and God spoke to your heart and you say, listen, I may be a member of this church, but I do not know for sure that I'm saved. Bob, at 57 years old, realized after all these years in church, that he did not truly have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're struggling with that today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender to the truth that God's calling your heart. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's done all the work. He's drawing you. And all he's asking and all it requires is for you to surrender. So with a broken heart, if you're willing to receive the truth of the word of God, I'm going to ask you to pray in your heart and mind to receive the gift of God. If you're watching this recorded or you're watching us online, if God's drawing you, just simply surrender. There's no magic in prayer. There's no ceremony involved. It's a, it's a willing heart receiving a loving God. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for I have failed my family and how I failed myself, but most importantly, how I failed you. And Lord, I stand today humble before you in realization of my need of a Savior. I know that I'm lost. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to pay my sin debt, and for you to save my soul. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life, and I thank you for saving me in this moment. By faith, I have received you, and by faith, I want to live for you. Lord, will you help me to do that today and every day moving forward in Jesus' name? Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed today and you were sincere, if you...